0: Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ a Chicago Bulls Podcast on the Blue Eye Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Bet Online and Blue Chew. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and thank you to you for joining us on this episode of the show. And I am joined to you today, as I always am, by a man who doesn't have a gambling problem. He has a competition problem. It's C Red Fred, aka Fred Pfeiffer. Fred, how are you, sir?
1: <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream, Mark. That's pretty good. Pretty good, man. I had a lot of good laughs uh, over the last couple of weeks with some of your comments, I got to admit. But why don't you just embrace what NBC scientists have found out about your personality? You are I the sleuth. You are we, the dream We Jerry don't need Cross to discuss that again. We okay. don't need to discuss are that again. you any. sure? Yes. I I got a good story for you, Mark. So, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, our, there was some heavy rainfall in the area. Yeah. In Chicago uh, on the 29th, even on the 29th, uh, into the 30th, which I think was, what, last Thursday into Friday. I, I'm losing track of the days now. And as I walked downstairs into my basement, I stepped on the carpet, and unfortunately we had flooding in the basement. So uh, I lost some bulls memorabilia, but you'll be glad to know that uh, out of all the pictures I had of beloved bulls, the Kirk Heinrich one was the only one that remained completely dry. So I don't... Of- <laughs> I don't know how Come it happened. Up. It was almost as if God had, you know, played a cruel joke on me and left me with that <laughs> completely. Is the uh, uh,
0: the jersey that I purchased for you still in good good condition?
1: Yeah, that one I have upstairs. Unfortunately, I wish I wish Thankfully. I would have left it in the basement. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so I thought you would get a kick out of that. Actually, I, I got a, the Jimmy Butler uh, signed autograph is still still hanging in there. But uh, I was able to, I pretty much save all of them. But I lost the frames and. And right. everything, so it's right. it could have been worse.
0: Well, look, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but at the same time, I'm I'm glad to hear that your true prize possessions have remained in some functional condition. So that's that is good to hear, and particularly the 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 Heinrich and the Butler ones. I think that 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 more than anything else is is good to hear. But uh, look, I'm I'm glad you're okay. Hopefully the uh hopefully it's not too much of an issue. It doesn't cost you too much to sort out and. Hopefully, it doesn't happen again. But um, I'm glad your your prized Kirk Heinrich memorabilia is is well and safe. To that note, though, Fred, where where is this much vaunted Kirk Heinrich song that we've heard so much about? Where is my Kirk Heinrich video that you were due to release by now, but haven't?
1: Wait, is uh, it it due yet? I thought I have. I thought I have until the season's over.
0: Well, I mean, season's over. <laughs> don't, don't play into the season's do Not officially. The technicalities. But, uh, yeah, just try to check in. The thing I is will, you I will
1: absolutely. See, I was going I had big plans this weekend finally to really dedicate to getting it done and then this happened. So, I literally, I had to tear up. We have a carpet in the basement and I had to tear up as much as I could before I could hardly move anymore and then I had to call some people to come in and, and finish the job. Uh, so I, I was unable to, uh, l- l- you know, let alone get my arms above my my uh, waist. So I couldn't finish the uh, the epic uh, Heinrich song. But I guarantee it's coming. When it comes, it's going to change the world. I have a couple uh, really big hits to follow after it. It's going to be like the White Album of Bulls <laughs> Bulls songs. I guess I don't know what you would call it. Parody songs. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, uh, heavy emphasis on parody. <laughs> um which is a good way to, to describe your musical career but um as much as I would love to continue uh, discussing the the carpet on your floor in your basement and your uh thrilling music career I think we should probably move on and get to what I want to talk about today which is obviously the episodes five and six of The Last Dance, which we all watched yesterday. Uh, I, I'm sure you've done it just as I have forever, But I've watched it again a couple of times because that's just what I'm doing at the moment. But I also thought we could talk about Mark Eversley's introduction to Bulls fans. So he had his presser, via Zoom the other week, or last week, I guess now. So I thought we could talk about there. Maybe we can start with there, get that out of the way, get our thoughts on what he sort of mentioned in that press conference, and then we can move into a discussion on episodes five and six of Last Dance. Are you happy to do that?
1: Absolutely. Sounds good. Let's go. Perfect.
0: Well, let's start with Mark Eversley. So he made himself, along with a tourist kind Arturis of Karnashovis, they made themselves available to media, via a Zoom chat. Media was obviously pressing those guys on questions of how, on how everything is going to run, why Eversley was the man for the job, all the all sorts of those sorts of things. And uh obviously Eversley did a bit of a media tour last week as or as much as he could uh online, I suppose. But uh I'm interested to hear from you what your initial thoughts of mark eversley were from you eh? because for me at least i hadn't heard much of him i didn't know much of his of his background beyond what i had read i i have not necessarily heard him express his basketball ideals and philosophy but uh it was interesting to hear what he had to say but uh i'm also interested to get your initial thoughts on what you thought on mark eversley and the way he presented himself
1: i thought he did a great job you know i didn't expect anything less from what i've heard about him he sounds like a really smart, intelligent young man and uh, I'm really excited that he's gonna be starting this job. But he said I think, you know, out of everything he said, the the biggest one was it starts and ends with winning. All this, you know, glad handing and all this great stuff and excitement that we feel about the beloved bull, if we're going four or five years out and the bulls still don't have a winning season, all that's gonna go right out the window. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think there's enough talent here to turn it around pretty quick. But uh you know, I think it's clear and I think I may have mentioned this before in a previous podcast. If we have another move, if he, like they did, where, you know, imagine what would happen if we made a move like the Sixers did with Fultz. How do you think that would be taken in Chicago? We'd be talking about that for years. You know, it's not exactly the most. We talked about Doug McDermott for, you know, two non all stars. Think about that one, you know. So um, it all depends on how he does on the job. But I'm going to stay positive and stay bright and, and feel like, I feel like so far. I've been very impressed with what he had to say, uh, but I didn't really expect anything less.
0: Yeah, look, I, I kind of agree, but uh, the, the overwhelming sense that I got from it was he's clearly going to be the PR guy to players from a ball's point of view, and what I mean by that is when we when we hear Karnašević talk, he's very blunt, he's very straight to the point. He may come off as cool and calculated, and, and again, we we haven't had much experience with Karnašević, but that's been pretty clear in his delivery. Uh, in the first few weeks on the job that he's straight to the point. He's very blunt about things. And I, I don't know if that's the way you should maybe approach it with all players. Uh, he obviously clearly has a, a great respect among players, but I think the balance that what Eversley will bring from having these relationships that a lot of people have mentioned and the fact that I didn't know this, but the fact that I think, was, it, was Vince Carter his best man at his wedding or something like that? There was some sort of close yeah. personal connection with Vince Carter to the point where There's other examples of that too, where Eversley has sort of been able to establish himself as a player first type of personality, which I think will sort of go hand in hand in the way Karnashovas sort of wants to operate the Bulls from a more strategic standpoint. So I kind of got from listening to Eversley and learning more about him, why he is kind of that right fit next to someone like Karnashovas, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely yeah he's very you could tell just with his background that he's been able to form those relationships he worked for Nike I'm sure he learned a lot of great things working for nike uh you know and what Pax his day was you know watching this this uh the last dance really just made me realize how many people are completely unaware of what Paxson did in the first three titles Most of these players have probably no memory and in fact they don't they won't of uh john paxton playing basketball so what might have worked from like 2003 to 2010 really holds very little sway anymore so it was time to move on and, and i'm really hoping this guy he, he really is understands the importance of developing in those relationships and i think we saw in the last dance if you have a a person at the GM or vice president operations position who is just completely incapable of building relationships with players and positive relationships. It's going to have detrimental effects on the organization. This guy clearly knows what he's doing. So I don't think the Bulls are going to fail over the next five years because their GM was unable to build positive relationships with the players. I also like what he had to say about player development. And that's clearly been – you know, a problem over the last few years. Um, You know, Levine's, I think, improved, but I can't say that, you know, Markkinen or Wendell Carter Jr. have really taken leaps and bounds and improvement. In fact, I think you can make a case that some of them have progressed, especially Carter Jr. Um, You know, I want to see these, and Larry, I want to see these guys get better, and hopefully he's going to really put a focus on that. It's clear based on what he says he will.
0: Yeah, I think that was an interesting part of his uh, his introduction was the fact that he was sort of surprised how little staff the Bulls had on, on hand in terms of, of player development, which is kind of brutal here to hear, given that they, the Bulls actively chose to go into a rebuild three years ago. So that was illuminating for us fans, but clearly for Eversley as well, and I'm sure was too. So I don't... Now that Eversley is in place, obviously, JJ uh, Poll came aboard, uh Tim Connolly's brother, Pat Connolly, came on board. He followed Karnashovas too. I doubt that is the last change that we will see from a coaching or, sorry, from a front office perspective. I think there will be some more changes and additions to come in the coming weeks and months. But it's clear that there's probably going to be some changes on the coaching staff too and that, you know, outside of Jim Boylan, whether Jim Boylan is a coach or not, it's clear, or at least I'm hoping based on what Eversley sort of alluded to, that, the coaching staff potentially is going to be beefed up, whether that's Jim Boylan's coaching staff or someone else, because it just seems like they're under resourced too.
1: Yeah, what do you feel about you know his statements? So, so I have the quote right now here. It's really early. Coach Jim Boylan and I did have a conversation earlier in the week. Where he called to congratulate me on accepting the position, just like anybody, anything else on our staff, we're going to utilize our time to evaluate everybody on staff. Not only players, coaches, but also people in the front office. I've spoken to coach, we had a really great conversation, looking forward to spending time with him in Chicago when we're afforded the opportunity. End quote. You know, I just I can't think of any it'd probably be the worst case scenario that Jim Boylen still had coaches team next year. On a on a scale of one to ten, you know, with one being uh well, me, what, what percentage would you put that Jim Boylan is back next
0: year? I, I, I have to assume it's it's very low. I'm not going to say it's 0% because, uh, I mean, there are those rumors circulating and uh, they're mostly coming from from Joe Cowley, who's, I'm assuming, got a source that's close to ownership that, you know, they they do like Jim Boylan, who Jim Boylan is as a person. We obviously know the Reinsdorf are super loyal people, so... For them to sort of kick someone out that they do like is, is big for them to do. So I, I can't put the, I can't put it at 0%, but I want to put it like it as close to 0% as I, as I can. And maybe that's just more hope than anything else. But I don't know. There's, there's just no possible way that given the, the seismic changes that the bulls are going through right now, when we know, you know, looking at other organizations and the way they've sort of handled. A new front office coming through. These front office, office, front office executives obviously like to put put in place their own coaches. Like it just makes no sense to not replace Jim Boylan now when you're going through this these whole sort wholesale changes. Like now is the ample time to do it, and particularly when someone like Jim Boylan is probably the worst coach in the NBA. I mean, it's not like you're firing Phil Jackson here or something of that nature. You're just kicking to the curb a pretty bad coach. So it's it's not. It's, it shouldn't be that dramatic, uh, I think, of a decision to make. So I won't put it at 0%, but I'm going to say it's 1% or 2%. Boy, it'd
1: be horrible if he's back. It would it be bad. Would, it would call in question either one or two things. Either call call in a question this front office ability to determine, you know, <laughs> to understand what, what is needed for this team or B, uh, you know the ownership is meddling and in, and in, in causing problems with the the front office because it's got to be one or the other. It's yeah. not based on merit. He's been a disaster.
0: He has it. That's a good point. So we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But this is gonna be weird to to say. And I I don't know how strongly I feel about this. Like it's I kind of felt sorry for Jim Boylan to the smallest degrees possible because when Eversley said that there's just not enough development coaches to sort of help him out, and the fact that it was also reported this week that. Jim Boylan was actually doing some general manager tasks because uh, because Foreman had sort of faded into the background as a scout. If Boylan is doing all those things and having to do general manager duties whilst not having enough, I guess, personnel around him to help him from a development standpoint, the fact that he is a first-time coach as well, then I kind of sort of feel bad very slightly feel bad for him that he would be put into that situation by these people who supposedly like and endorse him like Paxton and Reinsdorf that they wouldn't necessarily put enough around him to to help him out not to suggest that even if he had those resources that it would go any differently but yeah for a brief moment I kind of empathize with Jim Boyle which is weird to say.
1: Yeah that, that was a very bizarre moment for you. Let's just put it that way. Let's end it there. Very low moment for you. Bizarre. We'll just Very move on moment. from that. I mean, there's no doubt the guy was you know. Let's not. Let's, what are we talking about, Mark? The timeouts. Do you remember this? You saw the season. Valentine I remember on the bench well, all I'm year. Just saying, the guys. I'm just the guy's saying. a complete jackass. He he shouldn't be coaching any team. He's he's a nice guy. He's, he should be an assistant or you know like a uh, collecting tickets, but he shouldn't be head coach of, of a. <laughs> Of, a, of an nba basketball team you just shouldn't <laughs> I'd, I'd be honestly be uh, uncomfortable if he was coaching my son's seventh grade team next year the sixth grade team next year well i've Especially said before since that
0: uh you remind me of a lot of jim boylan so maybe he could be your assistant coach the <laughs> assistant to the assistant coach which you are
1: so don't make maybe me bring option. up the nbc uh sports chicago uh, s- s- team of psychologists again Let's well look
0: that's that's where I differ from Jerry Crass because Jerry Crass wouldn't have these empathetic thoughts that I just had so there you go I'm not <laughs> like Jerry Crass at all so I think that's been made clear but um yeah look it was it was a good introdu- an introduction for eversley I, it was positive comments from him. I like the way it's it 's shaping up between him and kind so there 's a bit of a yin to to their yang, both will front the media, both will be sort of in, in charge of doing that, so we 'll get both of their perspectives throughout all of that, so again, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out but. Much like the Karnashovas hire, this seems to be like something that's heading in the right direction. I'm going to trust Arturus on this one, even though last time we discussed that um, the Sixers' decisions whilst Eversley was there, who knows how much of them were were his, but uh, we haven't loved too much of what the, the Sixers have done whilst Eversley was there. And even during his days at Toronto, there were some odd, odd choices that the, uh, the Toronto Raptors made whilst he was there. Probably more to do with Brian Colangelo than in, in anyone else, but... Still, let's trust uh, kind of show us on that one. But do you have anything else that we you wanted to talk about on Eversley or should we move on to The Last Dance?
1: No, let's move on to The Last Dance. I think we've uh, we've said it all needs to be said. It, all that matters is what he does going forward. and, and yep. gonna, Let's try to support him uh, until he, he, he proves us otherwise.
0: Yes, good point. I think that's that's a fair way to approach it. So let's move on to what I really want to talk about, which is The Last Dance, episodes five and six. Those, those two episodes aired the other day. It pretty much continued off where you expect, or where we expected it to, from episodes three and four. We finished in uh, we finished in '91 essentially on on episode four, where the Bulls had sort of won their their first title. So, typically, obviously, episodes five and six carried on from there, sort of showcasing the rise of Jordan and the Bulls from '92 into 1993. I'm assuming next week we're going to go into the details of the first retirement. Um, so, we we went through those two championship years and then obviously floated back to the, the final year, the last dance, the, the 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 98 season. So, again, an interesting episode. I thought these were probably the best two episodes given their subject matter. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that statement. It probably wasn't as flattering to, to Jordan and the Bulls as maybe some of their previous episodes have been. But given the seismic subject matter of these two episodes, I thought it was actually the, the two best episodes.
1: Yeah, I was uh I was kind of shocked at some of the topics they got into. You know, frankly, especially with Michael making the final decision on this stuff like uh you know, one thing that's always irked me is this whole gambling discussion, you know, it, back back then it irked me and as I get older, I get more and more angry about it and I just felt like it was so unfair. You know, I was a caddy during these years, so my job to pay for my high school I went to a private high school That uh, I wanted to play sports at So in agreement with my parents I would caddy and work in the summer To pay for my tuition And one of those days Right around 92 or 93 It was Jordan showed up at the course He gets out of the car And man he just its its I could still see it in my head Just seeing him get out How, how tall he was How impressive looking he was It was like a awe inspiring moment Like an angel appearing and then he ran out in the course, and one of my buddies got the caddy with him and told me about the whole story. And he wasn't gambling any more money than almost every other member of that club was—the Beverly Country Club on the south side of Chicago. Um, you know, so it's like people are making a big deal about this. Hey, big surprise here: people with a lot of money gamble uh, in, in on, on the golf course. It happens all the time, and for people to make a big deal about it in '93. You know, knowing how much money people were gambling on the course then, I thought was so unfair, so ludicrous. It was just outrageous to me, and uh, I don't even know what the whole goal of the whole thing was. Other and uh, other than to tear down someone that you know I really respected and loved. So, I'm curious to get your opinion on that whole situation with the gambling. What did you What yeah. did you feel about it? Well, I th- that was kind of the f- the theme of also episode six and
0: five, but also five, but. It was clearly a story from Jordan's perspective of him being built up to be this super duper megastar, you know, obviously the biggest athlete maybe ever. And he was sort of coming to that peak of his powers to the point where he was almost untouchable from a media sense. So, and they alluded it to on the documentary that we like to build people up to then obviously bring them down. And it felt like, you know, the, the whole gambling issue was part of that, trying to find some sort of negative on Jordan who had had up until that point a pretty clean uh pretty clean reputation. So there was a gambling issue. There was obviously the fact that he didn't necessarily or he wasn't actively out there being an activist for uh the politician that who was running against uh that yeah, abhorrent Jesse Republican in, in Carolina. So yeah uh yeah Jesse Holmes was it? Is it was that his name?
1: Jesse Holmes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So there was a lot made about the fact that, you know, Michael wasn't Muhammad Ali in the way he wasn't an activist. So in that sense, he was torn down for that, the fact that he wasn't using his profile to, to to draw change on that seismic level. He just wanted to be a basketball player. And then from there there was obviously the gambling issue. And that to me, it was it was interesting that both topics were in there, but I think Jordan wanted to have them included in there because it just goes to show how difficult his life became where he obviously transcended every athlete ever became an you know just this super duper mega star to the point where he couldn't live anything close to a normal life just from the the sheer volume of attention he was receiving but also uh you know the the amount of scrutiny he was receiving to the point where you know minor things maybe were maybe built up and were built up in a way to bring him down that was the sense that I got away from watching episodes 5 and 6
1: yeah, I always. Uh, it's kind of hard to in today's era where athletes are so political and politically motivated, so often are, and it's always such a, a a big topic of conversation. I think it's hard for people to understand that it really wasn't that way. I didn't feel that way in the late '80s and '90s. I mean, you brought up Muhammad Ali, and absolutely he was political, but he was he was almost forced into it because they took away his livelihood. He didn't. He decided not to go to Vietnam, and he was. He, they stripped him of his title. So it was a completely different situation, and then he became politically motivated. And I'm not saying that it was, um, you know, Jordan should have been the same way as Muhammad Ali, but it was a completely different situation. You know, it was a, it, he was uh, Muhammad Ali was was a victim uh, of a uh, of a uh, you know just in, in in retrospect, a horrible decision to take away Bannum basically from boxing for three. I think it was three years. I, I I'm not entirely sure of the circumstances around it, but. I do remember in 91, Michael was so universally beloved that for him to wade into the political scene, I mean, that's not something that a lot of players did. Walter Payton didn't do that in Chicago. There were a lot of great icons in that era that just didn't necessarily get political. Bo Jackson was huge in the late 80s, I remember, and you know, these, these were never topics of conversation. So um, I'm not saying that there was there was talk that he should have been involved, more politically involved, but... Um, you know, I, I don't know if he, I just think it's unfair to often criticize Michael Jordan. It seems like there's always way you can criticize him for no matter what he did. And I think it's a, it's just unfair in retrospect to do that 20 some years later, 30 years later. Yeah. I mean, he alluded to that fact in, in the doco.
0: He basically said, no matter what I would do, whether it was speaking out or not speaking at all, there was always going to be something that disappointed someone. And even Barack Obama alluded, alluded to it as well, where he sort of suggested that in the U.S. that you know if an African American was to rise to some sort of prominence, that uh, they almost had to do so on certain terms, or you know they they carried an extra burden and they had to adhere to a a certain way. So he could understand why maybe Jordan towed that line. I didn't necessarily want to be an activist. So yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation. It's obviously a large conversation. It's one we could spend yeah. an entire. Podcast discussing discussing whether we should be looking to athletes like Jordan or anyone else to actually be an activist of sorts. Sometimes when they are, we like it. Um, I mean, look, some of the things LeBron James has done has been amazing to see. We also see LeBron sort of uh, with the whole China and Hong Kong issue. Um, you know that was maybe not so great from 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 LeBron being an act uh, from a, an activist standpoint. He, he received a lot of criticism for that, which is probably what Jordan was alluding to, where the fact where no matter what you do or say, there's going to be someone that uh, is going to come after you, no matter what your stance is. Obviously, the whole re- Republican buy sneakers too comment was uh, filtered into the conversation too. But
1: well, yeah, wait, there's no there's one thing I do want to say. There's no question if if LeBron had stepped out and actually called out China. That would have been a lot more. Oh yeah, uh, a lot more. Uh, the results of that comment would have been a lot more financially devastating for him. For sure, you know. So, and and for and for Michael to do what LeBron does, not like now. If you're going to be politically active, you're almost going to get celebrated. You're going to be the toast of a lot of parties. You're going to get a lot of pats on the on the back. Colin Kaepernick is beloved in most circles. Most of the people Some. I know love him. Some, Some circles, <laughs> but the circles where he's not beloved or people actually are angry about it. Who, who hangs out in those circles that we know? Nobody. Well, yeah, nobody I mean, really. Cares. No one that
0: I know, but um, yeah. probably no one yeah. that I choose to know either. But uh, the, the the point is that those people obviously exist,
1: and they exist in large. They quantities. do, but my, I, I don't. I don't think they're as large as you think. I don't. I I think the vast majority of people really don't care. And that's a different thing than people actually get angry about it. Yeah. Um, Michael Jordan, if he would have done something in 1991 in this situation, maybe not in the Helm's case since it's local politics, but let's we'll just say it was something else. The ramifications would have probably been a lot more uh, a lot more severe in that era than in 2020, where you know LeBron could say something and, and people are going to be, for the most part, supportive, especially in the NBA community. So I I don't even think it's even remotely apples to apples, and if that's part of the comparison or the discussion between LeBron and Michael, it's completely unfair. Yeah, maybe, maybe,
0: uh, but I guess he's the nearest facsimile to Jordan at this point, from maybe from a uh, talent point of view, but even just from a, a pure you know athlete gravity standpoint. So that 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 was the overwhelming theme for me that just how much burden Jordan. At, Yeah, how much of a burden Jordan had to carry as being this cultural icon, which I want to talk about a little bit more in detail from a basketball standpoint. But before we do that, let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsors. First, let me tell you about Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, still has hundreds of events, games and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL, then no problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can also still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All of that is open 24 hours a day and all of it is online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. We are also brought to you today by Blue Chew. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to Blue Chew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they are chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in a pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your auto ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code Wire. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's blue 2com promo code Wire. All right, back to the podcast now, we were talking about Jordan's gravity as an athlete, as a cultural icon, and I think that was the other key takeaway of episodes five and six, where it, I guess after 91 into 92, when the Bulls won their second championship, they went back to back. That is when Jordan really started to take off as a global uh, phenomenon, I guess, and, and that in part was due to the Dream Team and all that sort of stuff as well. So I want to talk about that and the fact that, you know, how big... That the dream team was for international basketball. But I think another interesting thing as well was, I don't know if you got this sense, but. Who the hell knows if Nike is what it is today without Michael Jordan? I think that was an interesting aspect of episode five. The fact that he obviously signed with Nike. Nike were a smaller startup at that point. They aren't what they are today. And I just the overwhelming thing that I keep thinking about about, you know, Jordan when I watch these documentaries, how much money he's made, not only for himself, but for everyone else. I think about Nike. I think about Chicago Bulls, Jerry Reinsdorf, obviously. Uh, but yeah, that was another thing I was thinking about is, what the hell is Nike without Jordan at this standpoint?
1: Yeah, there's so much, Mark. That uh, that not just Nike. I mean, the, the whole city of Chicago owes to him. Yeah. And I, I brought this up. I don't know if you noticed that that uh, that one police, uh, uh, the former police department who was a security head who was betting with him who gave the shrug when he won the bet. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. I, I yeah. read an interesting interview. That guy passed away actually this year, earlier yeah, this year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But uh, there was a really interesting art, uh Point of the article that I was reading in Complex dot com, where he was talking about um, when they went into his old restaurant, how everybody. Uh, let me, I'll actually read it directly from here. Um, let me get it. Give me one second to find it. Uh, but basically, it was basically saying he'd walk in there, and the whole city would stand up and start clapping. Um, you know, basically uh, the whole the whole restaurant would, um, and it just it was like he brought so much financially to the city. I remember it before Michael. It wasn't to the same level it was in the eighties. It wasn't, it was a lot, for, uh, you haven't been to Chicago yet, but most people who've visited Chicago that I know always say the same thing about how clean it is, um, in, in the areas that, you know, that where most people visit and there wasn't always like that. You know, I remember in the eighties, there was, it was, it wasn't the, the, the best city probably in the United States. And you could argue that due to the financial ramifications of people coming to visit, the city, due to Michael Jordan, the popularity of Michael Jordan had a massive effect on the coffers for the city, the amount of people who would visit and, and stay at the hotels. It just brought in a tremendous amount of income when, especially at a time in the winter when most people weren't coming to the city. So I always said there's two people who did more for the financial, um, the, the financial you know, the growth of Chicago, uh, the outside of the actual political spirit would be Michael Jordan and Harry Carey. Harry Carey basically did a advertisement for Chicago Cubs, brought tons of people into the city to visit Wrigley field. And the same thing with Michael Jordan. So the ramifications of what he did go far beyond just basketball. It's, it's in the billions. I'm certain.
0: Oh, hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, we already know these things we're seeing the way it's packaged in the documentary you just it just clicks again and it's like oh yeah he did that like, he's indirectly related to this or he had this impact on this company he made them billions we can talk about the bulls the bulls are a global icon because of jordan i am sitting here today talking to you a, a guy in chicago we're, we're doing a chicago bulls podcast because of Michael Jordan in a weird, crazy way. So, not to suggest that Michael Jordan has made us billions just yet, Fred. Uh, but maybe once this podcast <laughs> maybe takes off, maybe at that point we can uh, we can um, send something over to Michael as a bit of a thank you. But well, um, I- I- I'm point- pretty
1: sure, though, Mark, you know, there's not an Australian and some guy in uh, Saint Paul who are talking about the T Wolves. You know what I mean? Like, uh, they, yeah, we got No, I'm pretty sure they do not. You know what I'm saying? The maybe. Well, you don't not think a Tom impact on
0: the, on the Timberwolves? Uh, be, be after the fruit of uh, several successful podcasts?
1: <laughs> I just know the Bulls are are a world brand because of him. Without yeah. Michael Jordan, it never achieved this. And it's had ramifications for decades. You know, that's why we're talking about it now. And that's why they're so beloved for sure and also and John what, Paxson's big shot in in the third uh to win the third title yeah we
0: we can maybe talk about that later probably not probably not uh, <laughs> but that's why I wanted to talk about the dream team because that was probably my favorite aspect of this these episodes because it had that international uh flavor to it and the fact that the dream team was so iconic and was so influential in growing basketball globally and for me being in a completely different continent to you obviously talking to you about a team in your continent uh, about an nba team that michael jordan played on obviously the dream team means oh look it means a ton obviously for the us us-based people clearly but if, even for someone like me um th- there is some weird some weird connection to a dream team team like that so it, it that i found interesting to watch back and those practices and the footage that they did include of those practices how michael or how the, the the transition of greatness from Larry and 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 uh, Magic to Michael was sort of occurring right there in those practices, and then that is when Jordan became the clear alpha of alphas uh, in the NBA. I thought that was really interesting, and I could just watch the Dream Team stuff for hours upon hours.
1: Yeah, that was really inter- interesting, and. The whole practice, the the footage of the practice where Magic and Michael were going at it. It was just so – it was so great. It really was. And I think also, too, what was uh, kind of really interesting about that and wasn't really talked about is that was after uh, the HIV. Yeah. uh, Magic's HIV, which happened in uh, the fall of 91. And there was still a lot of controversy like that, you know, about playing with Magic. Uh, I'm not sure if it was still at that point, which would have been – 92 summer of 92 but you know for michael and those guys who embrace him and to you know kind of erase it really erased a lot of the stigma around it i think it was a very positive thing and obviously you know thank god magic still with us today but even at that time we were all worried he was going to be dead within like two or three years you know mm-hmm. so it was a really interesting situation but i love that whole You know, how they were going at it and everything, and then he just established himself as the true alpha. It was so fantastic. (laughs) Although I thought he did that clearly in the the finals before that, you know, and the six threes in the first game is just so mind-blowing to me. I still can't believe it happened.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish they spent more time on that 92 team. They kind of whiz, whiz through that a little bit. And there wasn't much on that playoffs series more generally. They talked about the 93 Knicks and uh, and in the lead up to, you know, obviously the Bulls beating the Suns, beating Chuck. And now obviously Chuck was part of the, the docker, which was great to see. Anytime Barkley speaks, is always entertaining. But they kind of... They kind of dismissed that ninety-two team a little too quickly for mine, and, and the the way they sort of played it off against the Blazers. I mean, I, w- I would have liked to see more on that team because that was a fantastic team. And of all the title teams, that one's maybe slept on to the point where we obviously think about ninety-one because that was you know against the Lakers, it was against Magic. We think about ninety-three because against that was against Barkley, the Suns, and the way that uh, ended with your uh, your old mate and hitting that shot. But the, the the title in between. Sort of gets diminished some, uh, if 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 we can even say that about a title. Um, at least that's how I feel about it. So I would have liked a couple more minutes maybe on that ninety two season, but we didn't necessarily get it. But yeah, it is, it is what it is, I guess.
1: Yeah, and that was a great team to the Blazers. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I felt a little bit bad for Clyde Drexler because he was truly a fantastic great professional. It's just, you know, no one is equal to Michael. I, th- I love that whole scene too. Where He was like, you know, he basically took offense to the fact that people were talking about Biden in <laughs> the same, in the yeah. same, you know, in the sentence, it was just so great how he came out and really just established his greatness over the, but that you're right. Like that team was, uh, I, I thought Wilbon made the point that he thought that team was better than yeah. the 72 and 10 team. Uh, I would disagree with that just because you know seventy two and ten team had Kukoc and and Rodman and I think Kukoc as the fourth player was better than anyone that ninety two team had uh, yeah. as the fourth best. So I would still give the edge to seventy two and ten. But what a what a great great year that was, man! And that was really where you smashed. You know the, the Chicago had you know the eighty five Bears. Probably for thirty years, that was it. Uh, I think b- between nineteen sixty three and nineteen ninety two, they only had the eighty five Bears. And to him, for him to win two in a row um, in ninety one and ninety two, it just it smashed all the associations of Chicago being loser city forever.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for one hundred percent for sure. And yeah, and I mean, coming back to and obviously going from that ninety two platform where he was obviously a two time NBA champion at that point going into the dream team, I mean, that's where he really cemented himself as that global icon. Clearly, he was already establishing that path anyway, but you, 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 we, we've seen the footage anyway, but the, the the footage of him sort of walking through Barcelona at the Olympics with those huge, those absolutely huge signs or the signage of him, those Nike signs where he's just sort of looking back on himself or looking up to himself more, more pointedly. I mean, th- that was awesome to see and going back to Magic though, I, I, I did get the sense that uh, but look the dream team probably wins anyway it probably all goes to Prian. no there's no one beating the dream team clearly but i just wonder how how differently it would have been if magic wasn't magic and he wasn't as uh welcoming of michael and if he was maybe a little bit more ruthless and maybe was less less interested in sort of uh handing over the reins to a jordan even though at that point like he's like he sort of mentioned he it was he was effectively his career was done at that point but that was another interesting thing that I've noticed over the last couple of episodes of how Magic is being painted versus someone like Isaiah Thomas, which he's being painted as that way. But I think it's also fair to say that's just their personalities as well. But maybe the dynamics of that dream team is completely d- different if Magic isn't who Magic is. And that's, that's what I wanted to talk about next is how they alluded to that after that practice session. It got so heated. All of them were talking about that being the best basketball game they've ever been involved with. And the fact that when they got on the bus afterwards, how there was you know a noticeable tension in the air until Magic broke it. So, uh, I'm really enjoying Magic and the way he's sort of being portrayed or the way he's portraying himself in pure Magic fashion within this docker.
1: He's a special human being, man. Right? Mm, it's, yeah. it's, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Magic Johnson, Mark, was uh, came down on a coin flip for the Chicago Bulls again. Were you aware of that?
0: Yeah, yep.
1: You were? Yeah, I believe or, or so. I've,
0: I've read that somewhere. I, I, didn't, I a, f- didn't, didn't experience it. Um, I'm not as old as you, a, but uh, I, for- I, I believe i read that somewhere, yeah. F-
1: for those who aren't aware of it, the Bulls had a, a coin flip in, 19, I think it was 1980, yeah. uh, to get Magic Johnson, and uh, they, they put it up to the fans. The fans voted tails. It landed heads, and Lakers got Magic Johnson, and we got David Greenwood, and the rest is history. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm grateful that happened. Like let's be honest, if we got Magic, we would have never gotten Michael, and as as great as Magic was, Michael was better. So I'm very happy how things worked out. But uh Magic is a special human being, man. And I it's it's impossible not to love the guy. He was a fantastic basketball player. I have him third in my list all time. I love the guy, and um, you know, I thought his interviews and to me some of the highlights of this have been him bird and michael together the video that you saw in the 1998 uh, all-star game i thought was really fantastic and just to hear players of that caliber talk about michael jordan says it all to me to 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 earn the esteem of your peers like that that's all you need to hear you know i'm not sure if the greatest players of this era are going to be talking about lebron with as much love in the next you know 30 years but we'll see maybe they will
0: yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see. Who knows? But yeah, I mean that that was that '98 All Star Game stuff was that was great footage to get that inside inside locker room footage. But it was also eerie because that's where we got to see Kobe talking about Michael, which obviously carries different connotations now, knowing what we do know of Kobe. Obviously, uh you know, recording that prior to his death, unfortunately. So watching that and episode five opening with Kobe, that was that was a tough a tough. Tough to watch, and the fact that he was so the way he was talking about his relationship with Jordan, I thought that was really it was great to see, and and it was, it was glad that I, I was glad that we got to hear Kobe say that because where we see um, at at Kobe's eulogy, we Michael spoke and he spoke so fondly about Kobe and their relationship. So getting to hear Kobe talk about it and you know knowing what we do know, it was that that was tough.
1: Do you feel better or worse uh, about Michael than you did before this all started? Better, oh, better! Absolutely, yeah, me too. I love him I even mean, more. I we think we spoke possible. about this
0: last week. There's, there's there was nothing that could they could show or do that maybe could negatively portray Jordan, and maybe that that would never happen given that he's involved in the production of this documentary. But I, uh, I mean, there would be have to be something truly horrific for me to change any position on it, and I don't know even. even even the gambling thing, I was just thinking about, like how Jordan was talking about how he he was looking at gambling as a an outlet from a competition standpoint. I was just thinking, well, maybe if the NBA players were better, then Michael Jordan didn't necessarily have to gamble and have enough competition on the floor. Maybe that's why he was so into gambling. So I'm just finding ways to justify Jordan's actions, even if he's less. I wouldn't call his gambling problem shady or anything like that. But uh, if we want to cloud that in that way, I'm even trying to find ways to justify that. So to answer your question there is no way Jordan was going to come away from this looking bad in my eyes.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't expect to feel a uh, love of him anymore, though, because I didn't <laughs> think it was possible to love him more than I did. Yeah. And I just think he's been so entertaining and so he's just so brutally honest in these interviews that somehow I've kind of like just it's even grown for me and i just love the guy i just i love his family i like lo- it was one thing that also hit me when he went to nike his mom and dad were with him you know he really brought them in on a lot of these decisions just like i just felt like i couldn't help feeling like good people you know what i mean it's just yeah. like especially at the core especially his mother seems like such a great human being it's just like you know all his good ass and, and i'm sure his father was great too but especially his mom all her, her best aspects were somehow brought to michael you know so i i, I really can't help but like these people yeah
0: 100 percent. like from a character standpoint i mean i'll always have questions about how if if he had to be so crazy about it i guess and just the way he approached it like i i prefer my athletes maybe to be like someone like tim duncan as an example i, I maybe that speaks more to me than than anything else but for the, the same son time, I love Jordan being the the complete maniac that he is. So, and and as an example, like you, you watch this, you learn more about his personality, obviously. But then you, it just triggers you to go back and look at games again. And I was looking at the his stats from the '93 uh, finals and the fact that he averaged over forty one a game. It's just like really,
1: it's like yeah, things
0: like that make you just your appreciation grows even fonder, which you didn't think was possible, but clearly it was.
1: I think there was also a clear delineation between his it's really become more apparent to me the first 3peat the second 3peat like he was a lot just he was just a better in my opinion overall he was a better basketball player in the first 3peat yeah. although he was probably even better or stronger mentally in the second 3peat but my God, he was just so fast, and he was unstoppable force. It was just so great to watch. I encourage everyone to go watch that 55-point game against the Suns. To me, that's that could be the the the, the all-time favorite. Out of all the ones I've watched, I just thought it was just so incredible.
0: Yeah, 41 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, played 46 minutes in the finals. I mean, that's – that is madman type stuff. I mean, he's he's a psychopath, but um, yeah. that's why we love him. But the only other thing I wanted to raise and talk about because we – had discussed it last week is when, when we were going to see some Tony Kukoc, and we got to see. Or we, we assumed it would come when they talked more in depth about the '98 season, maybe that second three P. But obviously, we got a little bit of it of, of of Tony in episodes five and six when they were talking about the Dream Team and the fact that. Scotty and Michael were coming after him in that game against Croatia. And, uh, it was good to see that. Obviously it was, it was, I was glad that they, they included the second game that they played against Tony as well, where he was much better in that game. And, uh, it was just, it was just interesting and fascinating to see all how that whole dynamic played out and to get Tony's perspective on it, given that, you know, he was he was a, uh, a basketball, <laughs> see, no a basketball fan, a Jordan <laughs> fan. He had no idea that they hated him. Um And the way he was sort of introduced to the two guys that he would end up playing with and to two guys that he would win championships was, I thought that was really funny as
1: well. Well, yeah, plus it... In retrospect, to Pippin's comment, he he couldn't play in the NBA is so ridiculously laughable. Such a, and at least Michael kind of you know said, "Oh come on, you know like that." That was so ridiculous. I I just thought, big picture, it's the. Incompetence of Kraus, even when he de- when he correctly identifies a fantastic player like Tony Kukoc in yeah. one of his shining moments, yeah. st- his stupid personality yeah. and his in- inability to get along with other humans caused them to hate him so much that they embarrassed the guy. You know, and uh, I de- I'm glad that Tony I thought was really put in a good light. You know, and Wilbon said he came back. You know, I thought brought up a lot of good points, and he came back. I always thought it was a little bit strange how hard they went at him too. I always thought it was kind of weird. Like, you know, hey, this guy's going to be your teammate sooner or later. You know, eventually, why don't we try to embrace him and make him better? But uh, it just says a lot about Tony Kukoc. He's seen a lot worse than this, you know. Yeah, that I mean, that, 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 was, that was something was that I was thinking
0: about when watching these scenes was – I mean, you could probably say Pippin and Kukoc were the best two moves that Krauss made. And no the doubt. fact that both – of those guys and the way they were introduced together. And you think about the way two draft picks nowadays and the the way you would ideally hope to have two guys come together to sort of form your franchise. You you would hope they'd come together as a unit, not necessarily as a competition or Pippen being threatened by Kukoc from a from you know him taking his spot, but also you know taking money away from the table. Given that how enamored Krauss was with Ku coach at that point, and what that meant for Pippen, and obviously how Jordan and Pippen felt about it. So I completely understand why they were psychopaths about it. But yeah, it does speak to the fact that it all came down to Kraus and his inability to to manage personalities or manage his own personality, maybe. But yeah, that that was interesting. And I guess the other takeaway for me was how good Kukoc was and how much he probably sacrificed his prime on those second P teams and how good he potentially could have been. And I was just thinking about how good and skilled he was. And just, just in my own head, I was putting him on the current day Bulls. And I mean, if he was on this current day's Bulls, he would be so far away, the best prospect on this roster. That's how good and skilled he was.
1: No doubt. I mean, I always said, you know, I wrote that incredible article about the most underrated players in Bulls history and that's one of my few regrets is I didn't put him at number one. Uh, you know, a little recency bias there. I had Gordon number one. Uh, Tony was a better player, and 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 there's you'll see. Hopefully they'll they'll focus on this and Game Seven against Indiana. We don't win title number six. We lose to Indiana if Tony Kukoc doesn't doesn't come through and you know put up an incredible performance uh, and get 21 points and saved us in the third quarter. Also, Game 5 against Utah in the finals, I think he had 30 points on, like, 14 shots. He was absolutely outstanding. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was 7-11, 3-4 from 3 against the Pacers for 20, 21 points. And then he, he was uh, he had 30 points on 11-13 shooting, 4-6 from 3 against the U- Utah Jazz in Game 5, a loss at home. But, man, I mean, how, how do you – just incredible performances there. He was really playing at such a high level. He just had no faults on the offensive end. That's something I always bring up. You know, defensively he did have some deficiencies, but he could pass, he could shoot, yeah. he could rebound. I love the guy. Oh yeah, for sure.
0: I mean, I'm predisposed for loving any European player who's you know absurdly tall that can pass like a guard. So uh, I, I just absolutely love those players. And obviously Tony was that. Could shoot, could pass, could do everything you needed on on offense. It was a triple threat. And just came over and was prepared to be, you know, the ultimate teammate, the six-man type player for this team. Just, you know, it ultimately sacrificed his numbers to get rings. And he he probably could have been a better player, let's say, or had more vaunted numbers on a different team. But not to say his numbers weren't very good for the Bulls because they were, particularly in in the minutes he was playing. But, yeah, I, I... Watching Tony in the the few minutes that he was on the screen, I I came back with an overwhelming fondness for him as well. So every bull that I've seen thus far, I keep, you know, they're legend in my mind at least that that keeps growing where my uh, my level of detest for people like Krauss and more so Jerry Reinsdorf that continues to grow as well. So uh it'd yeah. be interesting to see where that sort of positions itself after episode 10, but I've got a feeling that, um, uh, after we conclude this, this, this docu-series that I'll be ready to, uh, to be extremely, extremely angry at Jerry Reinsdorf.
1: Yeah. I don't think there's any way around it, especially when you see that, uh, I mean, you, you saw in this episode, it was in the middle of the season or right around the all-star break that Kraus reiterated, uh, that that Coach Jackson would not be back. Phil Jackson would not be back, and if Michael didn't decided not to play, that was his choice. It's like, is is this bizarre world? Like, what what are we talking about? What is this? Nah, it's Why weird. is this jackass? And he, he, they also showed after the '92, it was either '92 or '91 when they're we celebrating. He's talking about organizations winning championships again. You know, just just what a jackass! Like he's talking about the the equipment manager, like almost putting them on equal footing as these players it's just so incredibly stupid you know like just shut up it's i i i don't even even watching it now it's it's almost incre- i mean i was angry then i'm almost just like incredulous now like this actually yeah. happened
0: yeah look i don't have too much of a problem with the whole organizations when champion snips things so i know what he's trying to say there even if he's coming across as as, as a bit of a dumbass there, but. I understand his, his point there and I, I mentioned it before but the Raptors are exactly that they're an, an organization who won a championship obviously Kawhi he was a big part of that and the the, the main reason for that but you know we, we talk about Messiah we talk about uh, their coaching and how that sort of impacted everything so I got what Kraus was saying there but they had a, they had an element in episode six where they had a quote from Jordan where he was essentially saying I'm paraphrasing but the fact that they have not been very loyal to him from a contractual standpoint, or, or not, or wanting to move on or break up the team. I can't remember the exact quote, but he was sort of alluding to the fact that he's been more loyal to the team, to the city, than the team has been back to him. Which is just, it's just, it is weird to to continue to talk, to think about that, and talk about that, and that is, I'm assuming where this is going to head in the next couple of episodes here. But I, I just get that overwhelming feeling again after taking it in all, thinking about how it all ended. Thinking what could have potentially been. It's 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 just yeah. It's it's wildly wildly frustrating for it.
1: It is, especially now. I'm sitting here and I see uh, breaking news. Uh, I guess from his uh, unpublished uh, biography, Jerry Cross details similarities with Michael Jordan. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't even read it yet. I'm just gonna let that sit and uh, we'll end on that. But. There aren't any similarities, Jerry. My goodness! Holy smokes! (laughs) No, no,
0: not many that I can think of.
1: Besides, they have two lungs, maybe. Uh, I'm sure
0: it'll get into their uncanny ability to, you know, to put work in and their their quest for dominance or something like that. But uh, yeah, (laughs) that's uh, something
1: dumb, Jerry.
0: Some some crazy stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think it's 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 fair to end it there. But uh, thank you again, Frederick, for sharing your thoughts. With me, as you have been doing the last few months on Bulls HQ, appreciate you doing that. Listeners of the show, you can follow Fred on, on Twitter at CBE Fred. And uh, Fred, I'm sure you will have an update for us soon on all the, the Kirk Heinrich songs and uh, videos that you owe me.
1: Yeah, I think I'll make a commitment. I'll have the uh, the song out by next Sunday. Okay. Oh, you so, uh, put yeah, it out I think there. It's, I think it's, it's, it's time. Head. Okay. I think it's time. You know why? <laughs> Episode. Uh, what episode's coming up? Seven, seven at night. Episode seven, yep. Oh. You know what the <laughs> you know what the meaning is behind that number. For some so, reason, uh,
0: uh, does that mean like Netflix or ESPN will go to show it, and all of a sudden, you know, there'll be a massive power outage, as grids will go out everywhere, and then we won't be able to watch episode seven. Is that what you're suggesting?
1: <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen, Mark. I'm just telling you. I think it's time now, as we had in episode seven. Uh, that uh, I gotta redo the mantra now. In fact, I'm gonna go run the Twitter right now and talk about episode seven coming up. Dot 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 seven pick and seventeen.
0: We'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm sure you'll uh he will you'll, you'll think long and hard about your uh your great tweet that's upcoming. So be on the lookout for that, uh, listeners to the show, and follow Fred for all his uh his great thoughts. Uh, great in um air quotes here. On, on twitter.com at CB fred whilst you're doing that you can follow me too at mkhoops follow the show at bulls hq pod if you want to send us an email or be part of the bulls hq discord forum send us an email bulls hq at gmail.com but that just about does it for this episode of bulls hq thank you for tuning in we'll be back next week to talk about episodes seven and eight of the last dance but until then this has been bulls hq speak then bulls fans <laughs>